What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pinnacle Performance Podcast. Today, I have something that's a little different than what you might be used to from this podcast. I have Marcos Rodriguez for you all, and I met Marcos a year ago. Uh, he works at Hype Gym as a trainer, and he's got a really good perspective on a lot of things uh, as it relates to self-development, which is a really important aspect of being a trainer and being able to relate to your clients. And his journey is, is really interesting. And um, a year ago, we met at the gym and, and we had a great conversation. And ever since then, we've kept in contact. And since I returned back to New York, I was like, hey, uh, I'll be in town. Let's just record a podcast together. So uh, this is a pretty off the cuff um, chat and it was, a, it was a really enjoyable one. And I think it will provide some value for trainers that are coming up in the industry and uh, kind of want more of the self-development aspect of things. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. <laughs> Uh, as weird as it sounds, too, that light gets brighter on its own. Don't ask. Welcome to New York. Okay. I won't question it. Anyway, man. All right. So I figured we could talk about some... Hmm. Well, I just want to hear about your journey, honestly, man. Like, I think a lot of younger trainers listen to this. Uh, that's my target audience. So I think it'd probably just be cool to hear about, like, how you got to where you are and, like, kind of... I know you mentioned like back in the day you were doing a shit ton of sessions. You're doing like what, 50, something like that per week. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to a place in your life where I feel like you found a lot more balance. So what's that kind of been like for you? Is this thing on? Yeah, it's on. We're recording. All right, cool. So, oh man, I don't even know where to start. So I got hired many, many moons ago. I was the first trainer at Coliseum Gym in Middle Village, Queens. That gym may be familiar to some people. That's where uh, Larry Oak and uh, or Larry Wheels and Kevin Oak sort uh -huh. of became famous. Kai Green went there for a while. That was way after me. Um, it was a hell of a journey, literally. I lived up in Washington Heights, and it would take me an hour and a half to get there, two hours to come back home that night. I had to take the A to the E train to Queen Central Mall, take a bus, and then walk. So it was a trek back then. Before, like, social media, it was not, uh, uh, what would you say, a productive endeavor, being a trainer. I remember my dad wanted me to, uh, you know, just get a city job just because it was more stable and more benefits and all that. Training was not something that was people ever thought about as profitable. So uh, I loved it. You know, it was, uh, I think I used training as an outlet to work through my childhood traumas or whatever you want to call it, um, an outlet for sure. And the money was secondary. So I was very passionate back then about just training. And that's why that, you know, that trek to me was, was well worth it. I met a lot of cool people. Uh, Middle Village is a very uh, blue collar type neighborhood and it was awesome. After there, I went to New York Sports Club on 86 and Lex, which was the complete opposite. Uh, a lot more uh, elitist, uptight people, Uchi. not the kindest people, um, especially when you look like me. Had a lot of uh, not-so-pleasant experiences up there. But again, you meet a lot of cool people. Um, and then from those two, I just kept bouncing at different gyms or bouncing to different gyms. I always tried to have two jobs at the same time. I, I, the way I, I thought of it was like, you know, the more people I could get in, like, get in contact with and touch with, the greater I could expand my network and the more I learned about adversity. 
So it wasn't, I didn't, once I hit the ceiling of any gym, I was like, all right, got to fucking go to the next place, next place. Along the way, I picked up a shit ton of mentors, which I think is super important and imperative for uh, any young person in any industry. Um, especially if you're very passion driven. I think sometimes a lot of kids get lost uh, in this like sort of egoic drive to, you know, just fucking running through walls and having someone telling you, hey, calm down or here's how you could do things better. I think that's super important. Who are some of those people for you? Oh, uh, at Coliseum, there was this guy, Michael O'Rourke. He was uh, one of the top trainers at Equinox for many years. He still trains on the Upper West Side somewhere. Uh, some old school uh, bodybuilders, Gina Laveri, uh, real cool dude, Fakram Mubarak, Victor Martinez. Uh, these are just like old school bodybuilder dudes. Mm -hmm. At New York Sports Club, Dave Corona. Uh, Dave Corona, I'm pretty sure, was the guy that helped put together like the master trainer program back then. Uh, not that that means anything, but he was a guy that was like very... Um, just about that life he he started out as like an assistant strength coach at syracuse on some team maybe the football team i forget many many moons ago he's old as fuck now he works at a hss or he's affiliated with hss to some degree now and at every gym again i just kept picking up you know i'd go to the oldest dude or the most jacked guy and i was like all right it was like fucking uh that scene in fight club where i would just sit in front of them like i'm gonna you know i'm gonna stay here until you teach me everything you know yeah. His name was Robert Paulson. Um, it's me. Meet love. Um, so, yeah, I think picking up mentors was super critical for me. And then along the way, you know, you learn a lot of good stuff. You learn a lot of bad stuff. For me, it was about how can I still be passionate about my job and not feel cheap when people treat me like shit and still pay me a good amount. And it came to the point in my life where, yeah, sure, I was making a lot of money, uh, overworked uh i think i was paid you know decently enough uh but i just that that balance of like being happy restful to the point where i could maintain my happiness and my you know uh my passion came probably a decade later after i started training um and then it just came to the point where it's like you know what i i, I chose the people that i want to work with um, you just missed the big ass rat walking behind you. There's walking a big ass York. rat. Rats outside. There, this is like identified as a singular rat. Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Welcome how do you know York. it's? How do you know it's the one? And there's not uh, several. It looked like it was about twenty pounds. That's just one guy. It's the leader of the pack. You may see it again. Anyway, welcome to New York, Connor. Love it. Um. So yeah, it, it, I came to the point where uh, I was able to choose my clients you know, set a price that I thought was reasonable for myself where I could maintain my lifestyle, still have some sort of freedom to like, uh, you know, just hang with my friends and all that stuff and do all the things that I want. But it was a long process. It seems like it's long for everyone. Why do you think it takes that long for most people? You know, nowadays, and we were sort of talking about this before you start recording, I think I've seen things on Instagram that say like, you know, don't glorify the hustle, don't work too hard, you know, and I think that's total bullshit and that comes from a very privileged place. Yeah. I think many people, you know, like my, my parents and, you know, I mean, I think a lot of immigrants just don't have that option. So you got to fucking pedal to the metal and just, you know, do the best you can as hard as you can, as long as you can. But there comes a certain point where 
yeah, you have to work. You have to eat shit. You have to hustle. I think Instagram and other social media outlets sort of skew that where it's like, you know, buy my ebook and, you know, fucking rich trainer, poor trainer, dad. I don't uh-huh. fucking know. And they sell you these like schemes where it's like, oh, yeah, is training fun? Absolutely. Can you help a shit ton of people? Hell yeah. Can you make a lot of money? Yes. But you better be willing to wake up at five in the morning. You know, eat shit, show up when you got it, when you have a client, if you have one client that day and it's at 4.30 a.m., show up. And, um, yeah, you just have to plow through certain obstacles to, like, reach the top of the mountain. Many kids aren't ready to to keep up with the burden of uh, becoming success- successful, I think, or at least I've seen. I hear that. My, my journey was a little bit different in the sense of, like, I did a lot of the traditional wake up at 5.30, you know, be there at 6, and then don't leave until way late in the afternoon. I did that when I was trying to be a strength conditioning coach uh, when I first started off. But then when COVID started, that's when I really started to get online. And my grind was to go from about 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., doing probably 10 online sessions and then like two hours of either my own training slash filming and then you know maybe a half an hour of rest in between there i did that for like a solid year Mm -hmm. probably six days a week and that was really really hard Um, looking back on that it's one of those things where i don't think i gave myself enough credit for how challenging that was and how much that actually affected me mentally so it took me like perspective to step back and be like okay that was that that has repercussions that still affect me today like to this day i still can't take an online client I don't, I won't do it because it's, it literally triggers me to think about getting on a zoom call. Like the first six months, it was fun and all that. But, you know, I think that that grind that you're talking about was something that did help shape me into sort of the person I am today. It was only really like a, I would say the online thing was only about a year and a half, but before that I was doing that grind. And I don't think that I would have the appreciation nor the maturity to do a lot of the things I need to do today. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, I'm old and wise or anything, but I think that part of my life was really important to set me up to find a place where I can appreciate those things. Because it's like, if everything is always good, if you don't know what, what sucking feels like, if you don't know what grinding feels like, then you can't appreciate it when life slows down. Correct. I think, uh, in those bouts of, you know, it's, it, it sucks. It's you're fatigued all the time. There's a desperation. You want it to end. However, in those moments, I know that I'm sure for you, you know, you were like, all right, this is for a finite amount of time. And I'm doing this because I know this is the goal that I want. And this is going to help me get there faster. And I think I see a lot of trainers get into the business just as a very like casual, like, Oh, it's a quick buck. I'm going to be all right. And I've, I think there's a correlation with guys that get stuck at big box gyms because of that. It's like, yeah, I make decent money here. They feed me clients and it's like, man, it's comfortable. But to me, it's, you don't have any freedom. You're working for someone else. Yeah. There's a lot of attachments that come to that, that I don't want any part of, but to make it, to have this sort of freedom or whatever you want to call it, you have to, you have to eat the suck. It, uh, it, it, you know, adversity is not fun. It's not meant to be fun. I think it toughens you up, helps build resilience, uh, resilience and grit. So 
I think that's super, super important. And I think like anything else, you know, when you hear of, not that I'm equating us to fucking great men, but when you, when, you know, when you hear of these people that we admire or whatever, it's, they, they all have like a, a time, a time period where they had to go through something similar for some people. It may be a year for some, it may be 10, but you need to, to go through like levels of failures and evolutions, devolutions, and then figure out why the fuck am I doing this? Where am I going with this? Bang. I'm now at a place where, you know, I make good money, like I said, and I'm able to see my friends all over the world or domestically, whatever, and just chill. Can I make more money? Probably. With that comes more responsibility, more headaches that at my age, I really don't want. So how did you find that balance for yourself? Because it seems like like when I remember I met you, this is my second time hanging out with you in person. The first time was still here. We're at Hype Gym right now. Uh, in, in New York City recording this. And the first time I met you, and I'm not saying this to kiss your ass or anything, but I, I think there was like a certain, you have a certain energy and aura about you that's very um, calm and grounded and present. And I think that that's something that, a quality I look for in people I try to surround myself with. And it seems like you have a more of a balance in your life than a lot of other trainers I know. So I'm curious, like, how did you find that balance for yourself? And like, what advice would you give for people that might be looking for that same balance? Oh, boy. Well, that's yeah. like a fucking psychology question. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, um, I think life teaches you many lessons. And going back to that era when I was, like, always working at multiple gyms and being exposed to many different people from all walks of life, um that sort of the watermark for humanity always changes. You're always leveling up, whether it's the homeless dude, you learn something, learn something from that guy, your billionaire client, you know, your nerdy client, your dumbass client, you learn so much from everyone. Everyone is my teacher. And I think because, the, because of the way that my parents raised me, I, I never really took myself too seriously. You know, when people are like, oh, it's the fucking Jack guy. I'm like, bro, if you think I'm Jack, let's see my fucking friends. So I think having, uh, having, you know, being aware of your own bullshit, of your shadow and all these other things is super helpful. I think as a young trainer, it's important to keep your ego in check. Mm. Uh, sure, you're young, you got a fucking eight pack, fucking negative 10% body fat or fucking 200 fucking IQ or fucking make, you know, fucking 3 million followers or whatever. That's all cool and all, but at the end of the day, don't forget who you are. Don't let other people uh, feed your fucking narcissism or, or any of that stuff. It's just, you know, I, I think it's, it's life just teaches you, you know, who you really are. I think psychedelics have also played an important role, you know, yeah, I mean, you've also, like, I don't know a lot about your background, but from what I understand, like, you've had not an easy life to get to where you've come from. You've had to deal with some things. Look, we all, nobody has, has an easy life. Was my childhood shitty? Sure, but, I mean, who's, I mean, I don't, I don't have met many people who have a great childhood. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, self-exploration and trying to, to, to figure out why we are who we are is super helpful in, you know, coming into your own skin, coming into your own, uh, or understanding your ego. Um, 
Yeah, man. And, and again, just being young, and I think that's why having mentors is super important, and just recognizing that although you are the center of a, your universe, you ain't shit. You know, you're just another expendable human. So while you're here, why not make the most of it and help as many people as you can? Be cool. I think reputation, ha having a reputation as a trainer or a healthy reputation is of the utmost importance. Yeah, not for sure. Um, I would probably be very disappointed in myself if, uh, you know, people went around, you know, saying, well, Marco sucks at this or Marco sucks at that. Um, just cause I don't want to be remembered that way when I, when I fucking die, I'd like to think that I bring, you know, good positive vibes to other people around me for whatever that's worth. It's funny. One, one thing, uh, a question I've gotten from people that are especially trying to get into the online space, they'll ask me like, how do you go and like put your face in front of like a camera to an audience and just like speak and just do that all the time? Because I wouldn't even know where to start or what to say, or like, that's terrifying to me. <laughs> and well, for one thing, you know, I try to spend as little time listening to my own voice and editing my content before I put it out. That's one thing because I just can't stand the sound of my own voice. We were just talking mm -hmm. about this. So there's this idea in my head of just like, okay, I just need to film this and put it out. And it's almost like I have blinders on to a certain extent. And I'm not really thinking about who is going to see my stuff. As weird as that might sound, it helps me to not overthink what I'm doing and just say it as if I was teaching it to someone else that might be in the same room. But what's more than that is the fact that like I've been around the world and not that I'm super experienced or I've talked to, you know, everyone from everywhere, but I've gotten to know enough people from enough different places to realize that a lot of us are just kind of the same, mm -hmm. you know, no matter where you're from, no matter, you know, what you believe in, no matter uh, what your experience is, like generally we're just people looking for the same thing, which is happiness to connect with other people. And the same general things make us laugh. The same general things make us cry mm -hmm. and the same general things bring people together. So once I realized that it made it much easier for me to be able to speak to an audience because I'm just like, you're not that different than me. You know, like there's things I do that, you know, I wish I would do better. And I'm sure there's things you do that, you know, you're insecure about. And so once you realize that we're all sort of on this level playing field, it made it a lot easier for me. And there's people who do know way more than me and they could look at the stuff I put out and say like, this guy's a moron, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And maybe those people are levels above me in terms of experience and knowledge, but it's like, hey man, I'm doing the best I can right now. Like. My intentions are good. I'm good. here to help people. And I don't really know what else I can do at that point. I mean, I think, you know, my relationship with my clients is very unique. And I think a lot of my, my peers will tell you that we have very close relationships. And I know when, you know, it, it wasn't always that way for me. I tried to be the model trainer. You know, I tuck my shirt in, walk around with a fucking clipboard or whatever, like, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even wear a hat. I would never think of wearing a hat when I first started training, uh, just super prim and proper, but that really wasn't who I was. And as I became more comfortable in my own skin and I started having more authentic conversations with people, what I found is that I'm genuinely intrigued, curious about my clients. Uh -huh. So the way that I see it, uh, 
you know, it's like, all right, well, this is Connor. The more that I, I get to know Connor, the Connor universe in my mind now expands every time I learn something new about you. So it's almost like I gamify getting to know humans. Interesting. Yeah. Granted, there, I, I, I do have a general, general curiosity on like, well, cool, you're so much different than me, but we have all these similarities as well. And that's how I'm able to bond with people first. It's like, these are all the things we're similar at. Oh my God, cool, cool, cool. You like that? I like that too. But then it's like, all right, well, what are your other superpowers that I don't have? And then I just run right to those. And it's, I think humans are all very interesting and everyone has a different story to tell. And that to me is why I love my job mostly. I like that gamifying it. That's interesting because I think if you are gamifying it, then you are making it like I have a genuine curiosity about you as a person. I think people can feel that one thing that I've noticed when I'm training people is like, people can sense your energy and how you show up. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed like when I'm just a little bit off and I have a client walk in, it's like, maybe it's just in my own head, but, and I'd be curious if you, you, you have experienced this too. Like as soon as they walk in and they talk to you for like 10 seconds, like they know, mm -hmm. or it's like the other way around, right. like they walk in 10 seconds. I know even, I can just tell like even 10%. Mm -hmm. And they might be talking the same, but there's just something about their aura that's not quite the same that day. And so, you know, if we parallel that to what we were just talking about, like if you're showing up with that genuine curiosity, like wanting to know, like, hey, like, what do you have to offer in terms of, you know, like our interaction, not in like a selfish way or a transactional way, just like a, hey, you know, like, what can I learn from you? What can you learn from me type of situation? And that can happen within the environment in which we work. I think it's also, it's, I think it's, it's a, it's, I don't want to say it's the right or healthy perspective, but it is an interesting perspective to me to then change, you know, like, sure, I'm the trainer and these people are coming to me for a service. But to me, I change sort of the, the lens and it's like, all right, you're what I'm focused on. So what, tell me about yourself. All right. Well, you know, your fucking right knee sucks and, oh yeah, but you're stressed out at work and yeah, you had uh, a few bumps of Coke last night or you hate your wife and I, all these things are fascinating. And then I'm able to tie in other things where it's just like, well, shit, man, you know, it's just, we use each other as a mirror to bounce back that sort of vulnerability and authenticity. And it's like, well, Connor, maybe you should not go drinking every fucking day. And like, fuck, I know. And it's, it's this cool sort of accountability thing. And I think as, as humans, at least in my relationships with my clients, we all benefit from it. We all grow. They've helped me a lot. I've helped them a shit ton. Um, and I've been training, I would say the average sort of, uh, length of my clients at this point is upwards of a decade. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. There's one guy that I've been training for 18 years, uh, Scott, and he's the one who actually got me into like all the psychedelic stuff, uh, about 12 years, really? 13 years ago. Yeah. Just on a whim, gave me a random book for my birthday. 13. What book was that? Uh, the Cosmic Serpent by, uh, Jeremy Narby. Mm. It's an anthropo anthropological view of, uh the symbol of the serpent and how it's tied into ayahuasca and all how many other civilizations sort of use that uh, symbolism and what it means to them. But that sounds great book. it's a really cool book. Um, pick it up at Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's like, these are very long relationships that I've established with these people that, you know, I really sincerely like just am beyond grateful for. So, mm -hmm it's funny how a lot of the people that are in my life that I'm really close to, they all have 
or that I'm drawn to, honestly, they all have some degree of like psychedelic experience. And you've mentioned it a couple of times. I'd be curious, like, so you 12 years ago, you tried it for the first time. He, he gave me the book. Gotcha. Uh, 13 years ago. It was my 20th birthday. And uh, I was like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, I just think you'll, you'll like it. And I read the book and I was like, what the fuck is this? Because we would have like super like trippy conversations. But at that point, I was never really, uh, you know, into that sort of space. And uh, yeah, it just opened my, my world to like a whole new, you know, growing up as an inner city kid. It's not like we're doing fucking like in the 80s and 90s. We're not fucking doing mushrooms and right. masculine or any of that stuff. And uh, that just wasn't a thing back then. It was either weed and everything else, and you don't want to do everything else because it's probably not going to end well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I probably started proper, you know, I think my first proper ceremony was or experience was maybe 10 years ago. What was it? Uh, what came first? I don't remember if it was DMT. That's a, that's a synthetic it, DMT. It's a, a big one to start with. Or if it was uh, San Pedro cactus, which is Wachuma, which is a masculine derivative. It's like a cousin of peyote. I, I want to say the DMT first, and that was pretty neat. Did you break through? Oh, yeah. So you take four big puffs off the off a proper uh, sort of burner. Uh, I think... Uh, there's, a, there's specific ones for it, right? Right, because... They call the machine. Some will either burn too little or too much. Yeah. And uh, that was really neat. You hear this, you hear the soda can crunch inside your head. Uh, I think that's what McKenna called it or somebody else, uh, either Terrence or Dennis. And then you break through to this totally different reality dimension. And there I experienced very a very cathartic sort of super immersive, uh, you know, inexplicable experience. And uh, that was really neat. That really just cracked open my my fucking brain. Was it insightful or more so just like this is it was very different? It was very insightful. It was uh, very emotional. I think psychedelics, what they do if, you know, I think for the most part, if you're very aware of your bullshit, with all psychedelics, what they'll with most psychedelics, what they'll tell you is, or what you'll experience is that you're like, oh yeah, I sort of knew all these things, but I had, a, I have this self-doubt and this abstract anxiety that sort of holds me back. You know, you need five, 10 grams of mushrooms or all, whatever the fuck, ayahuasca or any of these other things. And you're like, oh shit, you know what? I'm not such a dick. I'm not a bad person. That's all right. Cool. Great. We are all doing the best that we can. Yeah. And you know what? I love my friends and all right, I'm not a bad person. And then conversely, I find that the people that tend to be very uh, narcissistic or egoic, self-centered and put on many different masks for many different people, including themselves, people that sort of gaslight themselves, those are the people that have a bad experience because now you're just going straight to the abyss and it's Not like, aware. let me show you how full of shit you are. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to see this shit. And yeah. it's like, no, you're in it now, so enjoy it. So I feel like those are the people that tend to have bad trips or just people with, you know, not the right uh, intentions uh, in doing them. Have you had a quote unquote bad trip? Have I had quote unquote a bad trip? Because um, I think I've experienced something that would be considered a bad trip, but I don't think that, I think if you have the experience with 
with doing whatever substance that is and the right environment, then you can interpret that as not a bad trip, as a very insightful and healthy trip. Because I think that was honestly the most insightful one that I had. It was very uncomfortable. Yes. But if you're aware of the circumstances and you're not completely just, you know, not on planet Earth, then I think you can I think you can reframe it in a very healthy way. For the most part, almost all of my uh, experiences have been done very uh, ceremonially, very uh, ritualistic, mm. meaning like, all right, like I don't, you know, people, I think, you know, I get a lot of times when clients talk to their trainers, they're like, oh, I did chocolate mushrooms or some dumbass shit. <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, you should talk to Marcos. He does it all the time. And I think people get confused that they think I do it like every weekend. Yeah. And that's not the way that it works. It's very well thought out. It's like, you know, uh, the last time I did mushrooms this year was in, in January. And I had to take, you know, I had to prepare like a month out. I had to change my diet, change my mindset, start meditating, get rid of a lot of uh, my not so, um, what's the right word, uh, more righteous habits. Um, and then it's a very, you know, uh, mindful experience it's not like hey connor i'm bored what are you doing tomorrow you yeah. want to fucking pop five grams of penis envy mushrooms it's like no not how that works so i think that having the right uh intentions going in knowing what to what it is that you want to work on is super important especially for the for the newer uh for the neophyte if you will i think when you're a little bit more seasoned sure you could you know maybe casually like you know what i'm not doing anything this weekend maybe on saturday i'll take three four grams and just sort of explore the edges of my consciousness i think that's fine too but i, I you definitely should have a concrete sort of uh intention and it's just like working out right it's like yeah you come in here and dick around all you want and leg extensions whatever exercise it may be but if there's no no goal uh-huh. and you're just sort of just dicking around and just not really getting anything out of it and i, I like to I find that the more mindful I am, the more lessons I could extract from those spaces that are more helpful for me. And I do think uh, they help temper my my ego or keep certain things in check that people don't say crazy shit like I look grounded or zen or whatever. <laughs> yeah, when I'm to you, it's probably like, that's not, man. It's just like, what's going on right now? Um, one thing that I've noticed with, with people, uh, and especially myself when I first tried it, is like there's a fear around it of what it potentially is going to make you aware of. I know people in my life that I've suggested it to. Like, I'm good. I'm good. And I I say, okay, maybe you are, but I know that there's things that you want to work on that you might not be aware of. And it's one of those things that it allows you to, it allows you to sort of find the answer to the question on your own. Because when someone tells you you need to work on something, it's hard to take that, truly to heart and be like, oh, you know, you're right. I'm totally going to start doing that right now. A lot of these things have to be our ideas. So it's like you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make a drink. So uh, what it's done for me is it's allowed me to be like, okay, this is, you know, more of an objective viewpoint of what's happening. And I ha- my ego is not attached to it because no one's telling me that this is something that's bad about me that needs to be fixed. This is coming to me sort of like in my own space. And that's been extremely helpful for me. And honestly, I don't mean this in a weird way, but that first experience was probably one of the most important things I've ever done because it made me so much more empathetic towards people. (laughs) I remember 
the first time I ever realized it was kicking in, I was watching this YouTube video with my friends. We were in my apartment. And it was this just, I think it was Mike Tyson. He was like explaining something to a, an, an interview. I don't know why we were watching this video. And he was just mumbling. Just like the average person would watch it and be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like this guy is like talking like an idiot right now. And my, my just only thought was like, I just felt so much empathy for this guy of like, he's just trying to express these ideas he has that he can't express very well, maybe because his head's too fucked up, or maybe it's because like, he's just not articulate enough at this moment to get it across. And once I had that realization, I was like, oh, I can take this in my life outside of this, you know, like Mm -hmm. I can view this more through an empathetic state, more of like a, okay, what is this person trying to say? Maybe they don't have the tools to say it, or maybe they're not in the right space to be able to express this idea. And that was really helpful for me. That was my first real experience in that moment with it. And I was, it was just, it was really, it's hard to like describe your experience as something that was as profound as it is just using words as I'm sure you can relate to, but that's what, that's what really started it all for me. I was like, Oh, there's something different about this. I think empathy is probably the most undertrained human muscle or concept that we could all probably do more work on. Um, I think having good empathy or great empathy, you're able to see everyone's perspective from their eyes. And I think a lot of times, and look, it happens. I'm not saying like, I wish I were less judgmental, but you know, cause I'm a fuck. I, I like to think I'm a funny guy. The first thing I'll do is like pick something on. I'm like, Oh, this fucking kid got skinny fucking ankles or some shit. You know, I just, just I just go with that. Uh, but I think, uh, all kidding aside, when it comes to like, you know, if someone's having a bad day, I, it's going back to like the client that walks in and something's off. It's like having that, uh, more, uh, social like social awareness and empathy and again just knowing how you affect the room psychedelics have definitely helped me do that better uh besides the actual just like you know million of human contact uh points working at all these gyms but um empathy is something that i think you could never uh do enough work on just gotta just you know go volunteer somewhere do something help people don't ask for shit in return. Just fucking do it. Um, on that note, on the other note, when it comes to like fear doing psychedelics, to be clear, like I'm afraid of heights. I'll go on a roller coaster, and the roller coaster of the trip, it's like before I get on there, I'm already you know white knuckling shit. Like I'm fucking sweating, heart rate's elevated. I'm like fuck, 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 fuck. What the fuck did I just sign up for? And you go all the way to the top. You know, your your heart drops, your nuts come up to your throat. You're like, shit, here we go. And then at the end, you're like, holy shit, I did that. And that was great. I overcame that fear or whatever. And that's what psychedelics are like. Yeah. In the it's beginning, gonna it's always going to be scary. I think it should be scary if you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, uh, meaning like, you know, bigger doses, like actually trying to have a breakthrough and trying to figure out stuff for yourself rather than a, a microdose. That's completely different. And I think a lot of people's fears are definitely substantiated because that is fucking terrifying. I find for, I don't like to push them on anybody, but you know, for a lot of the people that I love, I'm like, Hey man, you should maybe, you know, look into it, read this book, read that book. And I find it extremely fascinating how Michael Pollan single-handedly like flipped the entire landscape around. He wrote how to change your mind. And now the specials on Netflix 
Oh, that's what and that there's is. There's okay. so many people that I know that were so like, you know, people are like, oh, weed, Satan, fucking Satan's cabbage or the devil's lettuce. <laughs> and now all of a sudden they're like, hey, man, you know, what do you know about mushrooms and mescaline? And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. So I think it's cool that he's literally changing people's minds or giving them a, a, a second look at these things that can be super helpful to all of society, I think. I hope, I should say. So, yeah. Uh, like I say, I try not to push it, you know, on anyone, but if anybody wants to talk about it, hit me up. <laughs> what was your experience with ayahuasca, and how is that different than DMT or mushrooms? They're all different spaces uh, in terms of, it's sort of like Pokemon in a way where I find that different people have different affinities to different substances. Mm. I have friends that, you know, love Aya, and they'll fucking, you know, I mean, they, they've become, you know, uh, they've apprenticed in the Amazon, and some people have moved down there, you know, travel the world with it. Some people like Bufo, which is uh, Toad DMT. Um, is that the stuff they, like, inject in you, or they, like, so that's burn you with that's, it? Okay, gotcha. I've, I've gotten that. That's not pleasant. That's not psychoactive. That's more of a purge and done for other purposes. Gotcha. Apparently, allegedly, I don't know. And they're all very different. And we're at a weird point where a lot of these substances are accessible. I think whenever you get into these spaces, make sure you do your due diligence and proper research. And, you know, well, this one sounds like the most one that I could like vibe with or fuck with. So I'll do this and that could be, you know, peyote or San Pedro mushrooms are probably the easiest one for everyone in the States to get. Um, but all those spaces are very different for ayahuasca. The first time I did ayahuasca was November, 2015. I had gone down to Peru way up in the mountains in a Cusco? town called uh, Juaraz. Oh, okay. Juaraz is like way the fuck up there. It's like the highest point in uh, Peru. And uh, that was a magical place. I really liked the, the name of the place was The Way In. I don't know if they're around anymore. If they switched over, transitioned to like a regular uh, hostel or lodge of some sort. Um, it's a really neat place. Super hard to get to. It's a fucking trek. Um, it's, you have I, to hike there? Or? I had to take a bus from Lima for eight hours. Then it's like a two-hour oh drive God. up a mountain. Yeah, and it's literally in... West Bumblefuck nowhere. Um, it was great. However, and this was a great lesson in expectations, I had started my diet six months out before that, so I started the process at 2.45. Uh, I was taking uh, gear. Steroids, kids! <laughs> uh, you know, still partying, still uh, philandering and doing all sorts of whatever single trainers do in New York kind of thing. Uh, six months out. And when I started the process of the diet, I decided to cut all those things out, um, or, and just really scale back on everything. By the time I came back from Peru, I had started the, the diet at about 245 pounds. I came back 189 pounds. Oh my God. Yeah. But I, I, I did, I did all the things that I could to really get the most out of my experience. So I was down there for two weeks, drank, I think it was like seven or eight times ayahuasca we did some san pedro as well but the funny part was the first five times that i drank aya i didn't get shit 
Me too. Oh, I only did it once, but that one time I didn't get anything. Five times, and here I am, halfway across the world. It was a small group of people, too. It was about a dozen uh, or 13, something like that. And, uh, you know, I'm over here really waiting for something to happen. And the first night, people are talking about, like, aliens and dead relatives and, like, the glow that some people just, like, exuded. Just It, it was like a different person. I was like, all right, well, where the fuck is mine? And to me, it was such a, a an awesome lesson in expectations because, you know, the, the first time I was upset and I just kept getting progressively just disappointed. And it wasn't until that I, at this word has been bastardized at this point in this sort of uh, in these spaces. But like I literally surrendered and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. And it was, again, I can't remember if it was the fifth or sixth night, that first cup just, it was like Shang Tsung and Mortal Kombat had just sucked my soul out, and I don't know where the fuck I went. It was the most incredible journey ever that felt like an eternity. What I like about those spaces for me is that it, it they, it's a remembrance of sorts. It doesn't feel like I learned something new. It's just, it's a very comfortable place that feels like home, whatever home may feel like for, for someone, but it feels like something very you, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a, you're not in an, in a different space that doesn't feel familiar. It's quite the opposite. Are it's your extremely... eyes closed? I'm just curious, like what, what, what you actually experienced. So this, that, that first time my eyes were closed, uh, I, uh closed eyes visuals, um, but it's it's this weird melting of a of a fabric. Oh, there he There is. goes your big ass rat. God, that's All right, he's doing parkour on the ladder, guys. You guys can't <laughs> see, but Connor's. You weren't lying. He's big. Um. But yeah, I really enjoy those spaces because they feel very homey and safe, and just remind you that everything's going to be okay, and that's it. So were you? I'm always curious about other people's experiences. Like, were you, when you were close your eyes, were you in a different space entirely? Were you still able to recognize you were in the room you were in? Like, what what was that like? Okay, so I get that question asked a lot, you know, and, and not, I shouldn't be talking about these substances in the same sentence, but it's like, I tell people, it's like, hey, have you ever shot yourself drunk? Have you? Honestly, no. Right, so the chances, it's like, you open your eyes, you go to the bathroom, you do what you got to do, you're fine. Are you a little loopy? Sure, but for most people, it's, we've all been in those sort of uh, states of mind or, or you know, uh, loopiness. I don't fucking know. But this last recent, uh, I had gone, what, was it the end of March that I went to drink again? This one we were talking about earlier? Yeah, and that one was fucking intense. And I had, like, full-blown... Uh, open eye visuals that were bananas. Uh, so everything is just like this, like, you know, talk about fractals and sounds and all sorts of weird shit. And that was super intense. And my two buddies that I went with also experienced the same thing. So that was like really neat. And that was a bigger group. That was maybe like 25, 26 people. Um, but super intense. So every time is different. It's not really, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it, but despite how much you prepare, 
Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, no. I do think, and one thing that I wish that people did do better is actually take the time to clean up your life beforehand. Again, so meaning like, you know, if like you're the guy like doing eight balls in the bathroom at like fucking Bagatelle or like Del Frisco's before you go upstate to drink ayahuasca, maybe not for you. Um, And I think it is it's it's a noble part of the journey and the quest to like actually sacrifice something. I do think people get more out of that. And uh, as far as I'm aware, historically in the Amazon, that that was always something that was like very, um, it was a big undertaking because it's like you know you had to stop drinking, you had to stop fucking around, you had to stop doing all these things ben, to then we're, get we're recording X. A podcast. Guys, <laughs> so hot out, dude! It's so hot. I'm sweating. Buckets. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Benyan has just interrupted my podcast. I can't. I actually thought you were in, in that room. Like I stood here for like five seconds and was trying to think about which room you guys are in. I'm gonna go. You finish off. Right. Sounds good. Good to see you. He's a good kid. I'm just saying that because I'm being recorded. But I'll tell you how I really feel later. He's okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, it's uh, it's very comfortable spaces. I wouldn't be the first time, obviously I think there's a lot of, most of the fears because of the unknown, which is again, understandable. But if you've been, if you've been blackout drunk or really high on other, you know, more local substances, I think you have nothing to worry about. That's good to know. Yeah. I think one thing you hit that resonated with me is your idea of expectations. When I first did it, um, I don't know if this is normal. I only at the one time I was in Cusco, Peru, which is why I asked earlier. And I was doing it with a shaman, and he was uh, watching me, and he drank like, yeah, I mean, quote, unquote. So he drank like half of a cup, and I drank a cup, and I was just laying there in the fetal position. And comes over an hour later, lady, not the shaman, but the lady, she's like, do you feel anything? I'm like, absolutely nothing. Like, I actually feel like I could just drive out of here sober right now. And she's like, okay, let me give you some more. And then she gave me another cup. And I didn't feel anything. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't feel anything. And so I was starting to get, like, frustrated. Did I waste my money? What's going on? And then she's like, all right, let me give you another cup. She gave me another cup. And then I was just sitting there, and I just started to feel really kind of sick. Not not any sort of, like, altered state, just sick. And so I started feeling the need to, like, vomit. And... I will never forget how hard I puked when I sat up and she came over with this juice and this water bottle that was about two liters big. And so she handed me the juice and the two liter bottle. And she was like, you have to drink this. And I was like, there is literally no way in hell I'm going to drink any of this right now. She's like, no, you have to drink all of it. And I was like, (laughs) she was trying to, they were trying to induce a purge. Yeah. 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 I was like, Oh my God, I'm in this now, so I'm going to do it. So I drank all the juice. That wasn't too bad, but then the water came. And it was just so interesting how easily I drank that two-liter bottle of water. Like, I downed it in maybe 20 seconds. It was just, it just went down my body. As soon as it hit the floor, it came all back up immediately. And then after I got that out of my system, I knew I was in it. And there was something still just this underlying sense of like dissatisfaction with the experience that I had throughout it, because I thought it was going to be more than it was. And that's when this idea of like, Oh, I came in here with too much of an expectation of what I'm supposed to get out of this. Cause I had done mushrooms like DMT, that whole thing. And 
it was almost as if they described it as like a mother, you know, they described mm-hmm. it as like a female figure, which like you can kind of sense that presence. And it was like, you're not ready. That was the message I got out of it. Like, you're not ready for this right now. You might think you are, but you're not. And I was like, okay, that's, and even the, the shaman afterwards was like, I could sense that there was something going on in your head where, you know, I think you were probably looking for something. You just need to relax. I was like, that's, that's pretty that's much the, it. That's the case for a lot of people. And I've seen, it's kind of crazy. So like, you know, uh, a lot of the places that I've been to, uh, locally, like in, in, in the States, it's fucking bananas to me how a lot of people, more than you would think, are like, oh, yeah, and I'm just here for fun. I just heard about this, read about this. My friend did it, and I wanted to try it. And I'm like, holy shit, you're <laughs> fucking crazy, bro. This is some yeah. other shit. Yeah. I've seen those people have fucking harrowing experiences, like yeah. fucking guttural pain, like just awful. Yeah. And then other people don't feel shit. I think it's uh, – there's many factors, uh, mindset clearly self-awareness also the way that people brew ayahuasca is very different mm-hmm. there's also many different types of vines i think there's like four or five of them and then things that get added so it's like all right your favorite drink is uh an old-fashioned but if i go to the hundred top mixologists in the world you're gonna get a hundred different old fashions even sure. even if it's the same ingredients so you know that's why it's important to like vet who you drink with um more reputable uh seasoned shamans um and even that word nowadays is oof. Um, but that's super important. And again, you know, it's 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 something that takes a long time to sort of uh, really plan out. I think, meaning, it's not something where you should abruptly be like, you know what, I'm just gonna go visit fucking Marcos in New York and maybe go upstate with him and fucking drink, drink a little of the brew. It's yeah, like, well, no, that's not, that's not it. And you know, even when I tell people about it, I'm like, hey, you know, there's some places where you could go to and think about it. Maybe in a couple of months, if your head's in the right place, I think it would be great for you. But it's something that should be very well thought out. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard to think something out like that. And for me personally, not have expectations. I think that was very hard because I, I knew I was going to do it for months and months and months, built it up in my head for something that it wasn't going to be, but I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever that other thing that's with you in that experience that you can't tangibly touch or see, it's a lot smarter than you mm-hmm. and it knows what you need. Um, so I think the one, my biggest takeaway, and I think, that this really resonates with like a lot of people's experience on a daily basis of like, there's always going to be this underlying sense of dissatisfaction with a lot of experiences that you have. Like if you're at the beach and you're having a margarita, you're in paradise. Like, Oh, I wish there was a little less sand in between my toes. You know, I wish it wasn't, you know, I wish it was three degrees cooler, you know, Oh, I'm starting to get a sunburn there. Or just like, you know, you're training a client, having a great time, but you know that later you're going to have a client that you don't like spending time with as much, or there's something later that's going to drag you down. So there's always like this, this little pull throughout your whole day of stuff that just kind of eats at you. And if you can be at peace with that and you can recognize that as part of the process and not fight that, then I think that was an important thing. I don't know about other people, but for me, that was an important thing to really come to terms with and accept of like, okay, you know, that's just life. You know, there's never like a moment where it's totally bliss and there's no, never a moment where it's just like ecstasy. 
unless you probably take ecstasy, <laughs> that's probably different. But there's never going to be a moment where it's just like, this is awesome, 100% all the time. Because I think that's what we ultimately try to build towards, and that's just not realistic. That's an expectation that shouldn't be there. Yeah, the way the universe works, there's going to be a lot of happy, there's going to be a lot of sad. And come when it may, you just have to deal with it to the best of your ability, and that's, that's it. Um, another thing, too, to point out, because uh, I've seen, I've had you know, people very close, dear to me, do these experiences and go right back to their old environments and nothing changes. Yeah, no, that's huge. So, you know, if, you know, if I'm an alcoholic and all my friends hang out at the liquor store, it's going to be very hard for me to like get over that because of my immediate surrounding. So, you know, creating healthy habits and like, I like to tell people like I, I built my life around like a prison of my own healthy habits. So I go to bed at a certain time. I don't, you know, I don't do things that I used to before that have now made my life better. Do I want to go out and party till five, six, seven in the morning? Fuck yeah. In theory, mm-hmm. realistically, I can't do that anymore. And that's okay because my life is now better. But I, I had to sort of, you know, get rid of what's not useful anymore. What doesn't serve me. Um, through these experiences that, that was made more clear to me and easier to adjust to. Is that why that maybe it helps setting some positive momentum in your life before starting this experience? Correct. So I think the way that they're sort of trying to um, understand neuroplasticity with psychedelics, it's is now, all right, well, your mind is like super raw and you're a little bit more gullible. So what is the most important part of the psychedelic journey? It's that integration process is, is the word that they use. Um, and for a lot of people that may mean, you know, uh, therapy with someone who's a a psychoanalyst or something, someone who's also a psychonaut of some degree, or or certain support groups where people hold each other accountable. And uh, funny enough, in the Amazon, you know, integration was just going back to the tribe. And it's like, hey, Connor, are you better? And you're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's get back to it. You're a better human now. So very different, but super important. Yeah, I see why they call it self-medicine. That's what they kept referring it to. It. I'm, I'm not sure if that was like a, you know, like a, a marketing thing. I'm not sure if it was like a no, little. That's. But I can see why they call it that because you literally feel the negative energy being purged out of you as you do it. Like it, it really does feel like that. Yeah. And on that same note, you know, this is why it's also important to not do these things indiscriminately. You know, I don't drink fucking uh, uh, Nyquil every day just for fun. Because that has a shit ton of uh, consequences and ramifications that I probably don't want to deal with. The same thing with with psychedelics. It's like you're gonna get bit in the ass if you keep doing this shit just for fun, just to That's see right. like pushing it to the limit. You may have a psychotic break, especially if you're mixing with SSRIs and alcohol and other substances that you should not be mixing with. So again, you know, just be as corny as it sounds coming from you know a goofball like me, but I think people should be a little bit more reverent and respectful when it comes to these plant medicines just my take makes sense man cool thank you man i appreciate this i'm gonna go get destroyed by bet on legs oh <laughs>